Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses. And on the other side of that same coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, most of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You should check us out. Head over to iTunes. Do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated. helps us help more business creators just like you. And when you subscribe, you get fresh content in your iTunes every week with over 200 episodes immediately available on a wide variety of topics designed to serve you as a business creator. One of the things that I have seen hold back so many business creators when it comes to actually marketing and growing their business is a fear of decision-making. They're afraid that they don't have all the information they need to make a decision. Uh, They have a memory of some decision they made in the past that didn't turn out as well as it did. One of the common things I hear is, you know, I only have so much money here, and I really just can't dip onto the credit cards anymore. The banks suck, so it's not like I have a bunch of cash here. If I don't make the right decision, I'm sunk. I hear that one a lot, too, more than you'd think, because people don't necessarily say this stuff out loud but they do say it in private. Now, if any of the above or any similar situation applies to you, then today's episode is for you. And you don't even have to raise your hand and say, yeah, yeah, that's for me. Because for many of us, this is a very personal, private thing that we deal with about how making decisions, making effective decisions, build success. I'm so happy that we can have with us today Mike Whitaker, who is the author of The Decision Makeover. So let me just tell you a little bit about Mike. He's a featured speaker. He's a business development specialist. He's the founder of Idea Gateway and serves as a founder and board member for RevTech, which is a Dallas-based technology accelerator. Mike has also served as the chairman and CEO for several companies and has launched a dozen other businesses in the areas of software development, manufacturing, and professional services. He received his Bachelor's of Science in Cognitive Psychology from the University of Kansas, and he, like me, has an MBA. His is from the Price College of Business at the University of Oklahoma. Mike, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, great. Thanks Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. You bet. Before we dive in here, we have a lot of stuff we're going to talk about today. Mike gave us a really great outline in the green room, so there's about seven or eight, maybe nine different things we're going to touch on here. What we'd like to do is give some of our listeners who are just now getting to know you a chance to find out a little bit more. So I read off your bio, and we get an idea of your professional history, but tell us a little bit more about your journey, Mike Whitaker's journey, and what has brought you here to the intersection of brilliance and passion where you serve business creators today. Sure. Well, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. I only had two jobs for a year each out of uh, college after undergrad, and as I went out and interviewed in the world, some of the people had 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 the bravery to tell me, hey, look, I think you should work for yourself. So I don't know. 
if that was good or bad. But at the time, uh, I think that I had enough independence already showing that they kind of thought, well, I think this guy has his own ideas. So I went with it. Um, I had some good mentors early that said, hey, go, go, you're chasing a lot of rabbits, go catch one. Well, I had a lot of ideas. And so I began putting ideas into play. And uh, over the last 25 years, um, I have I have won and I have lost. I have made uh, some great decisions and I've made some bad ones. And one of the things Idea Gateway does, which is one of the one of the things I'm very focused on, is um, it's the art of knowing what ideas are worth our time and the versus the ideas that are just good for conversation but really shouldn't be turned into businesses. I find that that's one of the most common mistakes. I actually have a tool I've built called the Idea Filter for entrepreneurs, and it's not yet live on the web, but it will be very soon. And I've built it out of my own frustration, and when I coach other people, I, I actually use it with them. I said, let's run this through the idea filter right. because you've got a great idea for business, but I'm not so sure it's good enough. I think it'll save you time and pain. So I've learned through the School of Hard Knocks as an entrepreneur. I've employed a lot of people. Um, I invest in other small businesses as, and try to get them and help them grow. Uh, my journey is also one of balance. I, you know, I'm raising a family. I've got Two kids going to college, one one almost there. Uh, family, you know, two golden retrievers, a mortgage, uh, you know, and trying to get to the gym every once in a while. So it's it's a it's a balance right. effort, you know. It's it's about you know I'm trying to live I'm trying to live the life that I wanted to have. I really focus on freedom. I want freedom for myself. That's why I probably am an entrepreneur. One of the reasons, uh, and uh, I'm not afraid of hard work, and I'm not afraid to fail. Uh, I am afraid of repeating the same mistakes. And so that's one of the reasons I I said, I'm going to write a book because the, the decisions, you know, I can tell you more about this as we go, but the decisions I was finding that if I learned them twice, it was my fault. So. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny what you, it's funny what you said earlier about your uh, experience when you finished your education, you went out and got a job in the world. Uh, my work for companies uh, like my professional employment range was uh, five years. And of those five years, I can say that I may maybe actually spent about three of those years working for an actual professional company, uh, if, you, if, you grab my, if you grasp my meaning by that. Now, what I ran into all the time was somewhat similar to what you ran into. And I pretty early on got, the, got labels slapped on me like unemployable, uh, not a team player, all this other stuff. And what it really meant was I'm not the kind of person that's going to sit with perfect posture in my cubicle and make sure that I answer the phone on the second ring and that I respond to all emails within 20 minutes and have my receipts turned on so that people know when I read them. When you have somebody in your organization who has the unemployable label, uh, what that usually – I mean, some people just – you really shouldn't hire, but the majority of those ones that just – don't seem to quite fit in and and seem to have their own ideas, uh, chomping at the bit and all that. Uh, The ones that express their frustration at what's going on in the company and bring solutions at the same time. There's a difference between somebody who just complains and somebody who looks at it and says, oh, come on, really, is this the best we got? We can do better than this. Here's how. These are the folks that you want in your organization because they care. If they didn't care, they would just wait for their phone to ring on the second ring and make sure to answer it. I mean, come on. Uh, Got to be realistic about this. So where I have found my passion, myself working with companies uh, between two to ten employees, that's kind of our 
sweet spot, the Business Creators Institute, is they are havens for the so-called unemployables. And they take these folks who maybe could last about a year in a traditional environment because they don't sit at their phone and they're away from their desk and answering their bathroom and all that, is that they, uh, they, they have the passion you need to drive a company. Now, when you are dealing with a company in creation mode or expansion mode, decisions are a big deal. And as I said, I can't remember if I said this in the green room or if I said this in the prelude here, is that we see so many entrepreneurs who find themselves in a situation where they're afraid to make the decision. So they'll replace activity with action. Now, by activity, I mean lots of meetings, lots of reviewing the strategic plan, putting in more abundant processes for reviewing every single little thing before it happens, meetings upon meetings and agendas and minutes and every other thing else. So, yeah, you go there. You're going to be working eight hours. Oh, yeah, you are. But that's not the same is action. And when you'd have activity without action, you have a decision gap. And this is what Mike is here today to help us fill in. So the very first thing we want to look at is, is uh, you have a book out. It's called The Decision Makeover. So why did you focus on decision making as the key to success? And why are we talking about decision making today? Well, I began my journey with this book 20 years ago trying to examine why people were successful or why they were not successful. Um, I have an inquisitive mind, but also I'm very self-critical. Everything I do, I self-analyze probably way too much. Um, and I was in the middle of business growth trying to make decisions. Like you said in your prelude, uh, there was only so much cash, and decisions seemed like they were there was only room for no there was no room for no mistakes. And so I, I was just fascinated by what what makes people successful. And if you strip away luck and you know just happenstance, and you just look at what the masses of people uh, have to work with. It's really just their own decisions. Um, I like to say we get what we decide. Um, and the folks that don't understand that probably don't really own their decisions. And that's what the book kind of walks you through early in the book. It's getting you to understand that, that, um, if you want to be in control of your life and get what you want out of it, as the subtitle says, it's an intentional approach to living the life you want. Well, if you want that and the freedom that goes with that, You've got to own your decision. You've got to realize that it's you saying yes or no, you know, black or white, vanilla, chocolate, or strawberry. You are the one at the fork of the road deciding. And if you'll own that, then as, a, as an expert in, okay, how do I make decisions? And what is the discipline? And the book goes through this uh, in terms of the size of decisions or what zone you might be in to make a decision. And, and, and it links to your goals so you know why you're making that decision. Um, it's, it's kind of a discipline. It's not hard, but once you learn it, you look back at how you used to make decisions, you go, wow. Um, so successful people I found in that journey, I, as I interviewed people, and uh, it just added up. Successful people make decisions differently than the average person. And we can go into that now if you'd like, but the journey was to find out why people are successful uh, in all areas of life. It isn't just financial. It isn't just business. And I find a lot of business people are unhappy unless the rest of their life is somewhat balanced. And so uh, entrepreneurs, as you mentioned earlier, they're, they're, they're a thoroughbred. They're hybrids. They're, they're passionate. They're intense. That's why they work for themselves. And they want to go at their speed. And uh, that person needs balance. And, and, and you need good things happening in the rest of your life because the, the business doesn't always do what you want it to do. And the market doesn't always respond the way you want the market to respond. So... Good decisions across our entire life, 
really make for a fulfilled and happy life. And so that was my journey. That's what I wanted to do, and that's why I wrote this book. I know. Like, how dare those customers not immediately want what we're offering without any doing any market research or anything like that? Those jerks, right. they're, they owe us something just because we put out a long email out of the blue announcing all the bullet points and features and the fact that it's just $3,997 right now. Exactly. That's a little bit facetious, exactly. but that's the idea, that's what we're behind, what we're looking at here is that uh, things often don't go the way you wish they would. And I've had clients say, "Why do you have to do these launches and this pre-launch and preceding and all this inspirational and uh, one-question email stuff and such like that?" I've been in the market for 20 years. Can't I just say it's available and I'll buy it? Uh, no. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Even if you've been, whether you've been there 20 minutes, 20, excuse me, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And it's been my great pleasure to help folks over that barrier because that in itself I've seen as a decision inhibitor where they say, oh, you mean I'm going to have to go through all these steps to get where I need to go? Well, uh, I think the safest decision to make is just to not do it or to not make a decision. We don't want that. So you say, you mentioned a minute ago, Mike, that Successful people consistently make good decisions. How do they do this? You said that they do things differently. Give us a bit of an outline of that, if you would. Well, to use a word you used a minute ago, fear. You know, entrepreneurs can be fearful of making decisions, so they get paralyzed. Well, successful people don't fear decisions because they believe in their process and how they're going to make decisions. It's kind of like fear of being on stage. Uh, when I first started public speaking, I was fearful. This was many years ago, but... I have absolutely no fear today, and the difference really is that I know my content. I know what I'm doing. So in decision-making, the reason we fear it is because we don't know what we're doing. The act of making a decision is actually something you actually practice, and you're cognizant of what, why you should take extra time. Is this a big, medium, or small decision? Um, do I need to involve others? Do I need to review the consequences and make a list of pros and consequences uh, for each of my options? Um, there's all kinds of things that once you've done them a few times in brown decision-making that make you comfortable where you're no longer fearful. I just want to, so that's why we're fearful. And the, the re, we, and also as a, as a decision-maker, you have to remember you're all you've got. You can ask people their opinion you can ask experts, but the point is at the end of the day, especially in business, you're the, you're in charge and the buck stops with you, as they say. And, you, you got to know that if you make the best decision you can with the best method you can, that's the best you can do. There's nothing better, and that's what I'm trying to do with this book: is put you, put our listeners in the in the best position to make a decision for all the things that are important to them. And so, um, I believe that, that that fear is something that's accomplished by being comfortable that hey, I have a good decision-making process. And over time, you build what I talk about in the book, a decision streak, where you start seeing a series of good decisions. You start seeing what I call momentum. And the momentum is such a reward, and it feels good. And once you start experiencing that, especially in business, the business gets fun. And I bet, you know, you and the, and the listeners can, you know, you know, when the business gets fun, good things are happening. Well, those are dividends from good decision-making that's just starting to add up. So back to your, your question about successful people. They approach decisions with a process. They categorize it in terms of small, medium, or large. The larger stuff gets more consideration. Um, they also don't get hurried into decisions. One of the things, you know, if I could jump into successful people um, make the decisions because they don't have the wrong frame of mind. And I have to introduce to, 
to the audience a character in my book called the Decisionator, like the Terminator. Sure. Only this is the, this is the Decisionator, and the Decisionator, Adam, is you and me at our worst mindset when we are trying to make a decision. Our mind is not yeah. in a position. It's like we're inebriated. We we cannot we cannot walk a straight line. Well, in this case, our mind is in a, in a place to rationally weigh the options. Uh, the Decisionator happens when we're in a hurry, when we're, we've been rejected when we're under great stress or anxiety, when we're mad, angry, when, uh, when we're uh, grief-stricken, um, when we've had any kind of trauma, our decision-making goes out the window, our ability to do it well. But you'll think about what our mind does. and Our mind tries to grab onto, in those times, what feels good for the quickest Band-Aid, but it may not be and it usually isn't the best long-term decision. We will usually have regrets. So the, the decisionator, when we become that, when we start recognizing, hey, I need to take a pause. I'm not in the best decision. Can I talk to you tomorrow about this? Can I get back to you? Can I get back to you next week? Right. Can I sleep on this? So recognizing when you're not in the mode to make a good decision, when you're the decisionator, is an important piece. And I dedicated an entire chapter of the book about knowing when you shouldn't. And successful people know that. So they they they, they craft a pause into everything they do, it's, you know, and – they defer until they have their mind right and they can think about it. So that's the first thing some people do. And the second thing they do is when they've made a bad decision, and there's a whole lot we could talk about about what to do when you know you've made a bad decision, especially in business. Successful people don't wait as long to act. There's two things I, I call failing fast and fixing fast. These are the two courses of action that successful people do. Once you know you've got the data that it was a bad hire, it was a bad price you put out in the marketplace. It was a bad campaign, whatever it is. It's a bad relationship you're in, a bad partnership. Once you kind of know you've got all the data really you need, successful people do two things. They'll either fail fast. They'll say, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go a new direction. This isn't working. I'm not going to pour any more time or effort or emotion into this. They fail fast. Or the successful person fixes fast. And fixing fast is not trying harder. That's a cop-out because you should be trying hard anyway. Fixing fast is changing the deal, changing the structure, changing the contract, the work assignment, the job description, whatever it is it takes to change the uh, outcome because if you change the input, you'll change the output. So failing or fixing fast is something the successful people do with bad decisions. And those are the principles that really help uh, success come around for people. You make a few good decisions and you recognize bad decisions earlier and act, and suddenly you're a successful person. And that feels really good. Yeah, and see, that this is another thing that I think contributes to analysis paralysis is trying to get it perfect. I don't think there's any such thing as perfect. It, it, there comes a point where you have the best information that you're reasonably able to gather, and you have to move forward and put it to the test. Uh, there's really no other way you're going to know if it's going to be successful. That's just me. Now, in the decision makeover, you discuss why we should focus on five prime goals. So what are prime goals and why are they important? Yeah, that's, a, that's the most important point is that if, if you want to get what you want out of life, those are goals. What is it you want? If you and I sat down over a beer or coffee, I'd say, hey, Adam, tell me what your biggest goals in life are right now. Well, you, those are going to be relative to the age and stage you are in your life. Uh, when you're younger, they're smaller. When you get when we get older and get more bold, they get the goals get bigger, and the prime goals actually anchor our future. And the way the decision making 
works linking to those goals is so, so important. And I'll give you this example. If you ask me, Mike, we're driving down the road, and you say, does it matter if I turn left or right? And I say, no, it doesn't matter at all. And so, but when does it matter? It matters whether you turn left or right when you have a destination. Suddenly, the left takes you off course, the right takes you closer. And that's why decisions have to be anchored to goals. And it's a great way to filter your options for a decision. So your five prime goals, I have you define those. In fact, the book's full of exercises. After each chapter, is a good set of exercises um, that help you reflect on your life and then make the book very custom for you. One of the exercises is I ask you, I want you to name your top five goals right now. We're going to call those your prime goals. And why not six and seven and eight? Well, one of the reasons people don't get what they want in life is they end up having too many goals and they end up defining those goals inadequately. But five is a good number. But further, I make you label out of those five a number one goal. And this is so, so important because there only can be one number one. And I make you pick because truly you should be able to pick what your number one goal is. Now, you can switch these out. Once you attain them, you can switch them out and upgrade the next one, you know. But the number one goal is king for the day. Everything is subservient to the number one goal. If you really want to grow your business, I mean, you really want to, that's your number one goal, then every decision you make has to be supporting that goal. If you really want to lose 20 pounds, then every decision you make, think about it, eating, activity, getting to the gym, who you hang out with, do you eat out? All that stuff, all those decisions add up to go help support that number one goal. So five prime goals, from that, there's one number one goal. And now when you attain that, great, name another goal, a number one goal. But this is so important that, that people identify, what is number one for me right now? I think there's some, out of fear, people don't want to say what their goals are sometimes because they're afraid they won't achieve any of them. But I found people can usually name five. And they're passionate once they name the five. And that's, we got to get our heart into this. We got to get our blood pumping. And they name those five, and then they can name the number one, and off we go. All right, what's the next set of decisions we're going to make to support your top goal? And that's why I have that in the book. Huge concept. Yeah. So once we have five prime goals, you say that we need to choose one goal that gets precedence over the rest. Why do we need to do this? Because when you, when, you are, you, when you are giving equal treatment to the five, you're a master of none. There's, you know, there's no specialty. There's, it's like in anything. If you try to specialize in everything, you'll be a specialist in nothing. And so the number one goal gets the focus because goals come into conflict. Um, I, uh, I, have to work, I have to work a discipline where if my number one goal is truly number one, doesn't it deserve it's kind of like uh, my wife is number one okay she deserves in that category she deserves uh, that number one status so um, decisions that, that would affect her you know that doesn't those are uh, those are she is at the point of focus there number one goals um, tend to evolve revolve you know, in business my goals if you do, if you go with real general goals like I want my business to be successful that's not enough uh, my number one goal is to double the size of my business, let's say, you know, over the next year. Now, that's, that's doable. That's measurable. And we have to do it because if we don't name it, we're not accountable. And think about that. As an entrepreneur, one of the things that's tough for me anyway, it's lonely. Who's holding me accountable? I am. But other than me, I can rationalize all day long. Well, we didn't hit our sales number. 
a truly who's holding me accountable? Well, if, I, if you will just name your number one goal, whatever it is, you're now on the record with it. And you'll find it's more motivating and it helps you in certain times where you, you want to leave the office a little early or, you, or not look at your email over the weekend and you realize, hey, my number one goal is counting on this. Um, maybe I'll do this uh, until I attain it. So that's, you got to do the number one goal. Otherwise, nothing's important. Right. So when a decision impacts one of our five goals or one of our prime goals, you say we should pay extra attention. So how do we detect these prime decisions? Great question. So when a, when a decision intersects with a goal, one of your prime goals, it becomes a prime decision. All you have to do is when a decision is in front of you that can affect more than today, like one of the things you learn to do is like, is this a small decision? Small decisions are only for today. What am I wearing? What am I eating? Or what have you. But when it starts, usually prime goals are beyond today. They are bigger. And so you ask yourself, does this decision affect more than today? And if it's yes, it's starting to either be a medium or a long-term impact. And then you, when it's a prime decision, you know, okay, this affects my future. So now I ask myself, what goal in my future is affected most by this decision in front of me. It's, this is all happening in a matter of a few seconds. It's very easy once you practice it. Okay, this is affecting, let's say, my health and fitness goal. You know, I don't, I want to be fit when in, in, in retirement, let's say, for example. So this affects that. So what am I going to do about it? And then the prime decisions get extra consideration. And one of the ways we do that, there's three lifelines, I call it, um, where you first thing you do is you you identify the goal. Sometimes you can't really decide what goal is the most important. So you, then I look at the consequences. I have two options, A or B. I look at the consequences and the and the benefits of each option if I would choose it. And I and I write in the book that you know choose the set of consequences you can most live with. And I would tell you in business I've done that a lot because there's no perfect answer like you said a minute ago. There's option A and option B. There's employee candidate A and B, but the consequences sometimes tilt it for me because if I can't live with one set, then I will go with the other, meaning it's just too damaging, takes too much time, too much out of me. Um, so I look at the consequences. And if and then the third lifeline, if you can't decide uh, based upon the consequences or the goal that's important, the third lifeline is to call what I call decision triangulation. And it's like you're going to do a GPS coordinate triangulation where there's going to be three inputs, your instincts and what you think you should do here, plus the instincts and information someone else gives you that loves you. You're going to ask someone who loves you unconditionally and say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm too close to it. And the third person that's involved here is somebody you respect but doesn't have any emotional tie to you. It can be a CPA. It can be an attorney. It could be anybody, any stranger that has any expertise you trust. Well, you add up those three people's uh, responses to the question about which option should I do here, and you will most likely have the most accurate decision you can make, um, and you'll feel good about it. So those are the three lifelines when making a decision for a prime goal so you know you've made the best decision possible, which is all anyone can ask for. Right, right, precisely. So uh, when we find ourselves faced with tough decisions, I think this is really the core of why this topic is attractive and why this is such a challenge for 
are business creators. No matter how ambitious they are, no matter how passionate they are, no matter how ready they believe they are to move forward. But when you have a tough decision, you say there are three lifelines that we can use. And uh, in your book, you call them pause, reflect, and decision triangulation. So what do you mean by these terms, and how do they help us make better decisions? Well, the pause is the, 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 to give yourself a little time to clear your head, to make sure you're not the decisionator, make sure your head is in the right mindset. Right. You know, like, for example, the time to not make employee decisions is when you're mad or tired, for example. So, you know, it's to clear your head and get your mind right, as well as reflect upon your top goals, your prime goals. That's the first one. That's what that pause is for. And then the second right. one is assessing your options. Essentially, you're building your, your, uh, you're reflecting on your options of, okay, pros and cons of doing A versus B. And you're assessing, can I live with those cons? That's something I mentioned a minute ago. And then the third piece is the triangulation where you're asking two other people, one, one who loves you and one who you respect. And to triangulate, what's the right answer here? Um, we often ask people that we, that we know that we're close to questions that they want to please us so they don't give us their honest answer. I see this all the time. Entrepreneurs ask uh, other entrepreneurs, hey, what do you think of this idea? And the other entrepreneur says, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Well, that's not the demographic. It's going to be buying it. Uh, and that entrepreneur wants to please. Or, you know, they ask family members, and they want to please. So they, they're not getting good objective input. But the decision triangulation, the last lifeline, does give you the ability to average up because you got your instincts and you got two other people. Uh, and if the three of you get it wrong, then it was impossible to begin with, in my view. So that's that's what that is. Right, 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 right. So what happens if we've made several bad decisions? The perfect storm. How can we get things back on track? When you're in a hole, stop digging. You've heard that before. <laughs> um, yes, I have. Uh, I, think, I, think, uh, I think it's important to recognize sometimes, sometimes in, if we can just take the business for a second, sometimes you can still just get screwed. But – if you could recognize whether or not what's gone bad is something because you made the wrong decision or um, something happened that you could have never have known or affected. I'll give you a great example. Um, uh, a hiring decision where you bring someone in, they become extremely valuable, and then they up and leave. And it's like, oh, man, I shouldn't have hired that person. But the reason they up and left is that their, their husband or their wife got a job in another city and had nothing to do with you. So it's important to recognize so you don't contaminate your judgment of your decision-making ability. It's important to recognize, is this due to my decision-making or factors I could not control? If it's factors you can't control, just don't give yourself bad marks over it. It's important just psychologically. But if it's due to what you can control, then start looking at where you went wrong on your decision-making. Um, now, that's reflective, but it's try you know, you're trying to understand how to get better at this. This is all about life. Like they, Wisdom is thrown around as a word. What is wisdom? Wisdom is learning from all the prior lessons and not forgetting that. Next time the same question comes up, right? So uh, in this case, uh, what if you've had a series of bad decisions and bad outcomes? Um, I tell people, you've got to go back to what was working the last time it was working. Um, sometimes maybe you need to slow down. Um, I've had several times where I've tried to grow the business too fast. 
uh, I've had times where capital, too much money, actually put a disease in the business. We had too much capital to spend, and and uh, that creates its own problems. Um, and so I think when you have a series of bad decisions show up as an entrepreneur, um, you've got to go back and you've got to think about, look at the goal you were trying to hit, look at the decisions you made, and ask yourself, did I just make a bad choice? Or did I get things out of order? I find that a lot of times people are getting things out of order. You want to grow the business, they start a marketing effort before they understand the product and the market that they're going to sell to. They, like you said earlier, they've they got to do some testing. They've got to test the market, test the messaging that's required. So um, often bad decisions are, are, uh, are they're caused bad decisions, but actually you got things out of order. So um, you... It's a tough question. I'm going to keep thinking about this question, but what do you do when you do bad decisions? But certainly, certainly, like I said earlier, a successful person, when they recognize a bad decision, fails fast or fixes fast. The worst thing you can do is have inaction. Absolutely the worst thing. And I think that's probably the most common thing is think about that. In a business sense, the employee that isn't getting the job done or the consultant who's not getting the job done is still going to bill you. They're still going to take a paycheck. And you just let them hang around. What are you getting from it? I would rather. I mean, I I had a, a a business mentor say one time, I can't. You can never fire someone fast enough. Um, I never agree with that. Um, from a, but I understand now what they were saying is that it's once you know it isn't going to work. It's kind of like breaking up with somebody you're dating. Once you know this is person's a waste of your time, what are you waiting for? Because Right. Every day after that is an opportunity cost of what you could have done differently. And so as a business person, you owe this business your best guidance. And the fact is, the fact is your decision making of keeping people there that don't belong or not giving people what they need to get the job done, those decisions, the longer you wait, the business is being neglected. And we owe that to the business. So we owe the business a timely decision when it's gone bad about whether we were going to fail fast or fix fast. Right. You know, uh, there's something else that uh, this is a slightly um, off the plan here, but this comes up a lot when it comes to decision-making, and especially when you have to make decisions that are a little bit more difficult than what am I having for dinner or vanilla or chocolate ice cream. Now, some people may say, there is no decision to be made there. It's one or the other. So I'm not going to go down any, uh, you know, potentially virulent debates about ice cream flavors or anything like that. But my point being is as you move up as an entrepreneur and sometimes even in life, uh, you know that you have a choice, you have choices to make and you have to decide. And no matter what decision you make, it's going to adversely affect somebody. You know this going in. Somebody's going to be unhappy. Somebody is going to lose because of the decision you make. But you have to make a decision. What do you do to get yourself in a place where you can make that decision with confidence and then stand up for it once you've made it? That's a great question and common. And I think a lot like um, I think a lot like a ship captain. I don't have that problem anymore. I used to. I don't have any more because, like a ship captain, what's the most important thing, the most paramount thing? is the boat. It's the boat that pays our salaries, makes us a living, puts our kids through college. It is what we owe our best, and that's the business. 
I don't care what people think. What's best is what's best for the business. So if you understand what the business goal is and what the business needs, and that's right in front, then the obviousness is what needs to be done. And you do that. And you don't feel bad about it because if you were to not do it, you're hurting the business. You know, we're leading and steering this boat based upon circumstances that change all the time. We only have the information our gauges and our, and our eyes and ears can give us. So I don't feel bad anymore about what people think. I have to trust my instincts and my decision-making ability. Even though it's unpopular, they don't have my perspective. They certainly don't have my checkbook. They do not have my risk, my debt. They don't have my obligations to shareholders. So they can have all the opinions they want. That's very convenient, but you have to defend your own emotional confidence here as an entrepreneur and a business person say, it's my job and I owe this to the business. This is the right thing to do. So I hope that answers that question because I, I don't have that problem anymore because I keep the goal of the business right in front. Yeah, well, uh, you know, other decisions, you know, we think of is this is something that's not talked about as much as it should be, but let's go into the personal for just a minute, because I know we're going to come to the personal near, near the end of this of our time together here in about 20 minutes, but I uh, just wanted to uh, say, for example, let's say that you uh, are in a relationship, and for whatever reason, you need to break that relationship off. Well, somebody's going to be adversely affected by that. Yeah, there's a lot of, like we talked about, I talked about balance as an entrepreneur. There's, there's all sides of our life. Um, that we have to try to manage so we can have some semblance of fulfillment. Uh, it can't just be work, um, I, I find. Uh, and so in relationships, um, I, it's, the, the heart can be involved, but uh, don't forget, love, love and, and emotional things make us the decisionator. We can't see things clearly. Love is blind. I mean, that was said before I ever wrote a book. Um, so when we aren't of the clear mind, we will, we will make bad decisions in relationships. We'll let them hang around too long. Maybe they should kick us to the curb. I mean, seriously, there's a whole lot of bad decision-making that goes on in the relationship. Uh, but if you have the goal in mind, let's say, for example, your goal is to, uh, is to uh, find somebody that can, uh, uh, can be a good spouse for you. Uh, or even just a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, and they, and they don't want to. You don't want them resenting the fact that you're you have a business and the business is quite important to you. You're not an eight to fiver. Well, the one you're with now doesn't get that. Will never get that, and so on. So, right. point is, is that what's your goal? My goal is to have a partner in my relationship, in my life, my love life, who understands what I need to do and doesn't make me feel bad for wanting to do it. Wanting to do it. That's my goal. Well, this person doesn't fit that goal. So back to the thing we've talked about earlier in the program, doesn't fit the goal, we fail fast. I can't fix that person, so I can't fix fast. I can't change people, people don't change. But I, so I have to fail fast, and I'm sorry, but think about it, it's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like uh, you know, hiring for, a, hiring, hiring for a position in business, you know, relationships um, that are elective, uh, you have to go through a few people sometimes to, to find the right fit. Um, on the other hand, if it's family, as people say, you can't choose your family. And that's a different uh, set of decision-making for family. Right, precisely. So, and, and, you know, and that's, 
you know, I know that's what we're going to talk about a little bit is how the personal and the business come together. So sometimes we may be on a decision streak where these small decisions lead to bigger and bigger outcomes. We get the momentum, as you said, and we can see the effect of our good choices multiply. Why is it important to recognize the good decision-making momentum as it's happening? It's a lot like why I think we look down at our GPS map on our phones when we're when we're driving on a trip. We don't, you know, using highways we don't recognize. It's it's good to know that you're on track. Feels good, right? Feels good to yeah. see the little blue dot and you got your oh, destination yeah. flag in the distance, and you're like, well, I'm not lost, and I'm making good time, and you know, I like to figure out if I can beat the, you know, or hit exactly or beat the projection on on the, you know, on the for the route. Point is, it feels good to do that. And it's just like that in decision making. It's it, it's good to know if you're on track. In fact, one of the things that people don't do enough is take stock of what they've done right. They just focus on what's wrong. And our society is built so horribly in the media to just look at what's wrong with everything. There's, you know, the nightly news has one story out of 15 that's about what's right, not and 14 is what's wrong. Well. We got to be better friends to ourselves, and certainly as entrepreneurs and business people, we have to be good coaches for ourselves and others. Part of what I do as a manager is I remind people what's gone right. That's very important to recognize on a on a daily, but certainly weekly basis, especially when managing sales teams, um, and uh, on a you know on a monthly basis personally, uh, because life's short, and uh, we we're, we have different phases we go through, and just like uh, it's just like in a baseball analogy, hitting streaks happen, and when they happen, they're, they're, they need to be appreciated because they don't happen all the time. And salespeople know this. Um, and so when they happen, you have to recognize them. And it's also, also that momentum and that confidence starts to, can also build a difference in how you carry yourself. You get a few hits under your belt, a couple close a couple good sales, grab a couple new clients that are pretty prestigious to have, Suddenly, you're walking differently. Your business is talking differently. I remember that many times in my businesses where we get the right client on board, and all suddenly I'm saying something new to every client prospect I meet after that because I've got some confidence from some good decisions and some good some good results. So that's what I think it does. It changes how we how we act because we're more successful and we know it. And and think about it too. We're all selling in business. Everyone's always selling. And I always tell people we end up really when we buy, we buy confidence. You know, the salesperson that and the company that hits me with a, a fair price, but a confidence in their in the features they offer, um, and a confidence that they don't have to have my business, that company's gonna get my business because they don't act desperate. They're not the low price bidder. And uh I kinda wanna feel what they feel. I like that. Right. That's what makes good sales. So I think it all, big confidence begets uh, momentum and good decision-making and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's very true because, yeah, I mean, I've built my own business. I've created my own business, and I know what it's like to just be starting out. I know what it's like to hit the occasional valleys between the peaks. Uh, I've done things that didn't come from a position of strength but a position of, uh, let, me, let me give you an example. I mean, I, I had just, and I think this is relevant. Uh, I had just made some decisions that were designed to really advance the business forward and take me in a direction I really wanted to go. The problem was 
at that time, um, I don't believe you had yet published a decision makeover book, and I hadn't read it yet. So here's what so here's what Adam does. He makes this brilliant plan to move his business in a new direction. He's very excited. This is the thing he's been talking about for a year. He really wants to get there. So the funds in the bank account still aren't very big. So what does he do? A couple of these old opportunities come up. Some of the old clients, some of the old, uh, you know, willing to pay for some of the stuff that you know, the part of the reason Adam wants to move in this new direction is because he wants to get away from that old stuff. But, you know, the money's good. You know, we promise it'll be easier this time. And what happens very shortly thereafter? All the new plans get abandoned because these old opportunities that Adam left back in the door uh, not only got in the way of the momentum, but they ended up taking up all the time that was needed to move forward. So here we are, rather than moving forward, we're actually, again, cleaning up messes from moving backwards, hating all of it, hating all of it. Uh, so this is why, again, what we're talking about here today is so darn important, why everybody needs to listen to this, because you can kill your own decision streak just by compromise. Uh, what was I your was, motivation uh, to, to go backwards, Adam, when you said we went backwards? What was your motivation to do so, pay the bill? Pretty much, uh, pretty much. I looked at the bank account. That wasn't quite meeting my dreams yet, So, but this money, it was easy, and they were dangling it in front of me. They, I could charge a credit card today, and I thought, ah, I've done this before. I'll knock it out of the park in a minute. Then I forgot the reasons why I hated the project the other 12 times. Well, because I, I, I allowed myself to be distracted. As I said, you hadn't yet published your book, and I hadn't yet read it. Well, I, but okay, if we're strictly talking about you know, how does the entrepreneur transition from what makes ends meet to what his dreams involve, right? That's the transition. Right. I totally get this. I live this. I'm living it now. Um, in that, you know, my dreams involve creating more media around my speaking and my writing and getting the word out to entrepreneurs, business people, and about you know, things that improve their lives. But, but at the same time, I've created businesses that need tending to. Um, and, right. uh, you know, I have favorites and I have other things I just rather do rather not do. Um, but, but I can tell you when I, I just had this, uh, fellow ask me this, um, this recently where he said, I got this opportunity. It pays decently. I hate it. And I would have to split my time. I said, do you have the funds to run the next year on your new venture without worrying your wife to death about paying the bill? He says, probably not. I said, well, look at it like this. Find a way to take your take your pie, your pie graph, and I want you to think about now. There's three wedges, not which is which is the personal wedge. You got to give your loved ones the time, and you got to give yourself the time to be healthy in mind and spirit and body. But then the other two wedges are going to be carved to the things you don't, the thing you have to do that pays some bills that you don't like, and then the thing your your future, the things you're working on for your future. Don't give up on it, but it's just going to get a smaller pie wedge. But re, Here's the trick. In the old westerns, you always saw the guy riding. Uh, he, he had two horses, and he would ride two horses and have weight on both horses until one horse could take all the weight, and then he'd let the other one go, and he'd, now he'd just ride one horse. That's what you're doing as an entrepreneur. You're going to ride two horses until the second horse can take the weight. Faster horse, the more, one that you wanted, the color you always wanted, the thing that you always wanted, dreamed about. When it can take the weight, then you're going to do it. You don't have to have it immediately. And the reason why you don't, you shouldn't resent the thing you don't want to do so much 
is that it's taking away stress about how you're going to pay bills or on the other way of looking at it, it's lengthening the runway for your plane to take off because you don't run out of cash so fast. So instead of resenting the thing you don't like doing, I look at it as that's lengthening my runway. And eventually that will take flight with the thing that only I want to do. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah, that that that's a different perspective on substantially the same thing. So I think what I'm hearing here, and again, I should have published this book years ago and I should have read it years ago, is you look at those things you're doing just to um you know, to build up the bank account a little bit or because, hey, it's an easy one I can put on the chart. So when it's so when it becomes you get reminded of rather, it, when you get reminded of why I wanted to move away from this in the first place and why did I do this again, you think to yourself, you know, the fact that I'm doing this right now is actually moving me closer to what I need to be doing because with all this extra money in the accounts, I can move forward to the other thing with a lot more confidence. That's exactly it. That's exactly and the it. Soon, and, the, and, the sooner I, and the sooner I get it done, the better. Uh, so that will clear my mind to just uh, start being really efficient about it. Yeah, because this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Entrepreneurship is a marathon, and it's an endurance that you, you've, if you've not done it, you'll, you won't believe how much endurance it takes. But you get the rewards too. But the thing is, is that it's everything has a stage. And uh, um, it, one of the fun things for me to figure out was um, I've made a lot of money and lost a lot of money, but I like building stuff. So it turns out I like the building, the starting from scratch. Coming to the, I like that process. So I'm always restarting that, and I'm always transitioning from one horse to the second horse. Uh, that's that's what I do. And entrepreneurs, and you think about, too, what's changing, how much changes so fast. Businesses don't last as long as they used to, and that's okay. Businesses don't last 20 years even. They, a lot of businesses are there because things have changed. Uh, and a lot of businesses go away because things have changed. One of the critical errors and bad decisions of entrepreneurs is not recognizing that the industry is no longer really loving their business, and, they, and, they, and it's really not possible to evolve the business. Uh, I've got a company like that now that's in printing. Well, printing has gone nothing but downhill for, for 20 years. Uh, we're all digital. You know, we're all electronic. Um, tough, to, tough to transition, but if you think about it, it's evolution. So instead of trying to put the effort and money into, let's say, an old world business that uh, it's not getting the pizzazz it used to from the from the consumers and the businesses, what you do is you ride two horses. You start that second business that's got the wind at its back. It's exciting. It's got riding the wave of change while you run the old cash cow, and you transition from one to the other over time. I see a lot of entrepreneurs right. trying to, to save an old thing and and not being aware of what's really changed and how far behind they are. And, and we got to evolve. Good entrepreneurs evolve. They read and they see what's changing and they are not stubborn. Right. Very much, very much so. So uh, <laughs> we have about, uh, let's see how much time we have here. Oh my, we're moving forward here. We have about eight minutes and I do want to give you a little bit of a platform at the end. So last question, and we alluded to this earlier. Does good decision making apply only in business, or can it be used in other people, other areas of people's lives? First of all, let me say duh, but then you explain it. 
Well, yeah, again, if you, your goals are going to be a cross section of all the things you want in life, you know, relationships, love, travel, you know, where you live, how you make your income, who you see, what you experience, the memories you make. That's a whole bunch of categories. And you're going to make decisions that greatly impact all of those. Um, in my book, The Decision Makeover, I take you through those big categories. Um, I call them the biggies. And yeah. you, what we talk, we talk about it. And you, and you, that, that link begin back to what do you want your life to look like with, in relative to those big categories. Um, when we, when we're in the mode of making the big decisions to get what we want in life, we simply have to look at um, some ways that there's not a lot of time for messing around. And that helps us take it, get serious about the decision making. Um, and when we get a little more serious about it, we just, all we have to do is be an expert about decision making uh, by learning the concepts in this book um, in that a lot of people use trial and error. And that is not a good way to do it because uh, I'll give you an example. Some, I talk about the length of uh, consequences in the book about some decisions take a long time to find out it was the wrong one, like who you marry. So a cross-section of things outside of business, things like failing to get enough education, choosing the wrong area of expertise to be essentially in the wrong career where people pay you for what you know. Those are examples. Choosing the wrong person to marry, waiting too long to have children if you wanted them and suddenly you can't, um, choosing the wrong city to live in um, because there's not much opportunity there. There's a lot of comfort, but not a lot of opportunity. Um, those are types of decisions outside of business that um, I hear all the time. When to marry, when's the right time. I've actually, I just launched a new podcast this week called The Decision Makeover with Mike Whitaker. And one of the first questions the caller threw, threw in there was, I've got four daughters and I need to tell them today when's the right age to marry because it's really changed. So we spent five minutes and I went through the decision makeover on that question alone. So yeah, decisions across our entire life um, really do determine our happiness. And uh, we don't have to fear them. We just simply have to understand there's a process there, and that's what the book attempts to do. Right. And I think that's all. I think that's all really good stuff. So as we uh, get near the top of the hour here, I think we have some listeners who, and hopefully we've had the opportunity to inspire a few people, maybe at least help them get through a couple of their barriers that are holding them back, and then start moving them towards having a framework to make better and more confident decisions. So in your work, Mike, with business creators, let's turn the floor over to you and tell us a little bit, somebody may be on the edge of their seat and want to take this to the next level. Um, how can they engage with you and how do you work with business creators to help them thrive at the intersection of their brilliance and passion? Well, there's no end to their brilliance and passion. I know that. Uh, one of the ways, uh, first of all, um, MikeWhitaker.com is my website and it's M-I-K-E-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R.com. You can get free chapters of this book and some free exercises. You can download and try it out. You can have links to buy it on Amazon or, or uh, Barnes & Noble. It launches September 12th. Now that's the book. Um, there's other things I do and blog about uh, business and personal decision-making on my site. So that's the, that's the essentially the book site. And then my company, Idea Gateway, ideagateway.com, that's where I engage with entrepreneurs, and we develop ideas and growth plans for my, my ideas and other people's uh, businesses. And Idea Gateway, you can read about what we do there and how we do it and my contact information, my team, I actually have a team, is on that site. And so um, 
that's what we specialize in is taking businesses from one place to another um, in a very fast way with less pain and less money wasted. So um, happy to, uh, it's Mike at MikeWhitaker.com too, to take an email from anybody. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you email Mike, just remember to mention you heard him on the Business Creators radio show. Give him a shout out. Let him know what you thought of the, the interview here today. And also do make sure to visit his website and get his book, The Decision Makeover. In fact, I do believe I will be incorporating a, uh, a, a copy of that in my next round of book orders because, as I said, I wish I had that book 10 years ago, so I'm going to make up for lost time now. <laughs> That's great. All right, so uh, you know, actually it turns out we do have just uh, another moment here. So uh, do you have any parting thoughts or any parting words for our business creators to pick up and go home with uh, that they sure. can uh, be inspired by now? I've got one that um, is probably my biggest uh, uh, learned thing. I used to fail at this, and, and uh, we talked about it briefly, but everyone's probably got one decision in their life in any of those biggie categories that I mentioned that's been hanging around that isn't the result resolved that they need to think about doing something. You know, it's, it's lagging. They need to fail fast or fix fast. And I want to emphasize that the, the baggage that brings by not having that resolved is larger than you think. Um, it lowers our happiness on a daily basis. And the encouragement I want to give you is to think about, all right, why don't you think about moving, moving forward and resolving that one way or the other. And you will never feel lighter, and you will have more opportunity because you've got less things to worry about, and you can move forward pro proactively and upgrade whatever that is. So that's my kind of my idea of the day uh, that I believe everyone probably can say, yeah, I got one of those. And, and my <laughs> suggestion is go do something with it because don't fear. You already have the data you need. So the only difference is just it's just change. But the future is brighter, and that's why we need to make those decisions uh, and resolve those now. Agreed, very strongly. So, Mike, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, everybody, Mike Whitaker of MikeWhitaker.com. It's been an honor and an education. Great questions. I really enjoyed your show, and uh, I'm going to be following you from now on. And likewise. So for everybody listening, uh, thank you very much for tuning in, for investing in yourself today. My name is Adam Homey. I am the host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.